make a case that the New Testament is reliable, reliable historical uh, documents that make up the New Testament, then I would argue uh, from that point that the, Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, the historical evidence for his resurrection from the dead. And, and by the way, you can get one of the world's leading atheists, Anthony Flew, debated my former uh, apologetics professor at Liberty University, Dr. Gary Habermas, and did not do really well because the New Testament scholars, the amount of his, what they accept from the New Testament as historically proven, um, is enough to make a very strong case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And uh, Anthony Flew was, uh, was, was kind of out of his league in that, in that particular debate, did not do real well in that debate. And he was trying to argue against the resurrection of Christ. But I think once you provide the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ from the dead, uh, then his claims to deity began to make sense. And, uh, and then we could see, you know, man's greatest enemy, death, defeated, uh, conquered through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, but, but then you find Christ's views about the scriptures, and Christ viewed the Old Testament scriptures as the inerrant word of God, and promised that through the apostles, uh, his words, heaven and earth would pass away, but his words would be preserved. His words would not pass away, and so it appears to be a promise that the, that the New Testament would hold the same status as the Old Testament. Um, and so basically then you would have the doctrines taught in the scriptures uh, uh, according to Jesus would be divinely inspired truth. So, so there's a long, uh, drawn-out, uh, meticulous process of historical evidences for the Christian faith. Now when you go to the Islamic faith, uh, Jesus never claimed to be God, um, you know, but the, the Islamic faith, uh, the Book of Quran, that type of thing, uh, uh, I don't think it's really too difficult to, to point out the inconsistencies in the Quran, uh, or, or the fact that, uh, that Muhammad, uh, probably never read the New Testament himself. He picked it up from, from stories and, 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 and fables through word of mouth from, from traders in his, his part of the world and, uh, and made a lot of big blunders where he had uh, uh, Moses' uh, sister uh, he confused with the mother of Jesus and you know there's a, there's a gap of 1500 years he had no uh, knowledge of the chronology of the Bible he had the, you know the Tower of Babel existing simultaneously with uh, with Moses. So, uh, um, uh, but I think you can make a case that the historical uh, doctrines of Christianity, the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, salvation only through Him, uh, the miraculous life of Christ, these things that are denied in the Islamic by the Islamic faith and Judaism. I think you can make a strong historical case uh, that the his, that the uh, evidence uh, speaks loudly in favor of Christianity. But uh, but again, we're talking about something that entire books, uh, entire college level courses are, are taught on, and and then that's the difficulty with pluralism is that it starts so far away from historic Christianity that there is so much work that needs to be done. Uh, fortunately, human beings are such that sometimes it only takes one spark 
to ignite an entire fire to cause a person to change a world view. In other words, sometimes it's just if one dominant one, the person's got one objection, and if you can answer that objection, everything else falls into place. But uh, uh, but we are starting so far away. There's a different view of oh, what is the ultimate reality. There's a different view of history. There's uh, a different view of who man is. There's a different view of salvation, and so it, um, it, it, there's just an awful lot of work. I mean. We're, we're, we're in what uh, Western civilization is in what uh, the late Francis Schaeffer referred to as a post-Christian era. And uh, what that basically amounts to is that the, the more we move forward in time, the further we get away from Christianity, the harder it is just to communicate the gospel, let alone defend the gospel. And uh, um, many pluralists, as far as many pluralists are uh, very... Uh, skeptical about his history as a science to begin with so historical evidence is uh, he, uh, may, may be meaningless to them so you may have to actually uh, spend years of laying the groundwork with these particular people in, in, uh, in uh, more philosophical areas and uh, uh, try to persuade them to accept a different concept of truth before you even get into uh, the dialogue on historical issues. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, I was just curious, what do you, um, how do you talk to people about moral doubts? Like, um, how can you, how, how do you accept that people who are seemingly good in the world are going to hell because um, they don't believe in Christ? Yeah, and, and, and those are always good questions. And it's, you know, I, I usually I tell people when they say, well, you know, are you telling me that because I don't believe in Jesus, even though I do lots of nice things for people, are you telling me a nice guy like me is going to go go to hell? Uh, I basically tell them, look, you know, if I was God, I'd let you in heaven right now because you're okay in my book. But the fact of the matter is, what that is, is one imperfect man telling another imperfect man that I can tolerate your imperfection because of my own imperfections. Uh, but the Bible teaches that there is a totally holy, totally just God who can have no fellowship whatsoever with sin. He is so just that he must judge and punish all sin before it can be forgiven. And... Uh, so uh, basically, that's the, the gospel of love is the fact that God sent his own son who did not deserve death, who did not deserve punishment uh, to suffer and die on our cross. There's a substitute sacrifice to take our punishment for us to satisfy the justice of, of God uh, so that now that our sins have been paid for in full by the Lord Jesus, see, justice demands that the punishment fits the crime. Well, our crime is we rebelled against the ultimately worthy being. Therefore, we deserve the ultimate punishment. The Bible refers to that as eternal separation from God or the eternal flames of hell. And there's a debate about whether these flames are literal flames or is just the turmoil of being spending eternity separated from God. Um, but uh, in order for there to be a substitute sacrifice, that sacrifice must be an ultimately worthy sacrifice. 
Hence, God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, became a man and took our punishment for us, and that satisfies the justice of God. So nobody... The, the good news is... Uh, well, the bad news is we're all sinners, we all deserve the flames of hell. The good news uh, is that we don't have to... Nobody has to go to hell now. Uh, because Jesus has paid the price. However, God is a God of love. He's not going to force people against their will to spend eternity with them. So, so, so basically what it gets down to is I would openly admit to a person, a person's a nice person, I admit, you're okay in my book. But my book doesn't amount to a hill of beans. We're talking about the all-holy, the almighty God, the totally just God who cannot have sin come before him. Um, and uh, and, and, and we, we, because we are sinners, we look, we take sin too lightly and we forget that sin basically is rebellion against an ultimately, the ultimately worthy being. And so sin is a lot uglier uh, than we often view it ourselves. Um, but, but basically, Galatians 2.21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, uh, uh, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So everybody who's saying, I can save myself by my works, I can get into heaven on my own, is basically saying that Jesus was a fool who wasted his time dying on the cross because he didn't need to do it, I could save myself. So, uh, um, what, what's, okay, really quickly then, I mean, within a pluralist context, then how does the Christian define sin or evil that is so different from, say, the Muslim or the Hindu or the Buddhist that you know, really makes sin this, you know, reality that we all experience. Yeah. I mean, because maybe, maybe the Christian's perspective of sin is true for the Christian, but what about, say, the Muslim or the, well, even the Hindu who doesn't yeah. really believe in you? Yeah, yeah and, 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 and there, and you're hitting the nail on the head because it's... In, in Western, Western civilization was so influenced by the Christian worldview that even if a person wasn't a Christian, they held to the Christian view of truth, the Christian view of morality, and so basically you just gave them the gospel message and then they would accept it or reject it, but they understood it at least. Uh, but now Western culture, because of what Francis Schaeffer means by a, a post-Christian era, uh, that's not the case. now. Uh, you can often dialogue with a person for an hour and a half and think that communication is taking place when if the other person has a different concept of truth than you have and a different concept of moral values than you have, um, you might be saying the same things uh, but actually meaning totally you know, different things by those. So, so, so uh, basically what I do is I keep, when I share the, my, share the gospel message, I keep it as simple as possible. Uh, and I allow the person to raise objections, and then I try to answer those objections. And uh, but sometimes, um, you know, I, I have spent some. Sometimes I have spent uh, uh, hours and days dialoguing with a person before I really start understanding where they're coming from because their worldview is so far from ours. And then, and then that is, uh, I mean, we. Uh, uh, for Christians, this is a very tough time to live uh, because, uh, I mean, 
it used to be you just used to share your the faith with people. Now you got to not only share it but defend the faith. Uh, but now the, the the problem goes even beyond that. It it, it sometimes it's, it it appears almost impossible uh, to just communicate uh, to other people in, in Christian concepts. That because this pluralist view of the nature of truth and the nature of reality has influenced our way of thinking about truth. And yeah, and it, it's so it, we, it's hard to communicate with others with the, when we talk about things like truth. With the uh, with the Christian worldview and Western civilization was saturated by it, man felt that, hey, we, God has revealed himself to us. We can be very confident that we know what Francis Schaeffer calls true truth. We know absolute truth. Uh, but what, what happened was we got overconfident in our ability to reason, to use our reason to find truth, that eventually guys like Rene Descartes came upon the scene, even though he professed uh, Christianity, we began to think that we could prove everything through reason alone. And so a guy like Blaise Pascal responded to Descartes, well, we could prove everything by reason alone. What need do we have for revelation from God? He saw where it was leading. But anyway, through man, through the Enlightenment uh, and, and modernism, man thought that he could prove everything through human reason alone he thought his reason was infallible and what we found out was not that there's some things you can't prove through reason alone uh, we actually found out that there's really when everything's said and done I, th I think you can go so far to say there's nothing that you can prove nothing at least that leaves the realm of ideas there's nothing that you can prove through reason alone once you leave the realm of just ideas, you know, things that are true by definition and that type of thing. And so uh, the confidence in human reason took a nosedive, and now we've entered into something called postmodernism. Now, we talk about the difficulty to defining pluralism. Uh, you can come up with a thousand different definitions of postmodernism. Uh, you, you think you know what postmodernism is, so you buy a book that refutes it, and after you read it, you find out that you know less about postmodernism now after reading the book than than you thought you knew before you went into it because it's just postmodernism is just a big <clears throat> title given to a whole bunch of different uh, different views, different ideas that have this at least in common. We've rejected. Mankind in general has rejected modernism's faith in human reason to find truth, and uh, and so now the whole concept of truth is in question uh, as to whether or not there is uh, absolute truth. And so we have uh, the subjective idea that what's true for me is true for me. It doesn't have to be true for you, and vice versa. We have uh, the, exist the views of the existentialism that it's not important whether you, what you believe is objectively true, all that's important is that you uh, passionately believe it. Uh, and um, my reality may be totally different from your reality and, and that type of thing. So uh, um, it, 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 it's to the point where not only is it difficult to convince people, to persuade people to become Christians, it's becoming difficult to just communicate what the gospel is saying.
what seems being a philosophy major, that's becoming a difficulty just in discussion in general. Like I've found just in philosophy classes, a lot of students don't speak up. And this is this has nothing to do with any talk on on God's existence or anything, just with the nature of truth, the nature of reality or any kind of moral talk. It's become difficult to discuss these issues with people. Yeah. Just because communication has become so difficult. Yeah. Terms are so confusing now. People um, have sort of uh, chucked this whole idea of defining your terms and sort of gone with, well, if I experience truth this way, then it's good yeah. for me not to do that. Is it, there's a, pro, a professor at Olympic College, Rob? Oh, I was just curious, like, <clears throat> like there's a common argument that, like, how do we know we're all not, like, brains in a vat? Or, like, if you're, like, a Star Trek fan, it's like, how do we know we're not on a holodeck or something? Like, I mean, how does... <clears throat> How does Christianity respond to that sort of like argument for pluralism, or that pluralism might exist or be true? Well, just the whole uh, the whole idea that truth is relative. Um, if truth is relative, and there is no absolute truth, that statement itself would be an absolute truth. And another, another well, I know it's a self-refuting statement, but I don't yeah. think that it's it's necessarily valid to say that we can confine reality or all of the universe or the experience to human syntax and say, well, because this doesn't work in our sort of Western linguistic grammatical structure, then therefore it does not exist. But I think because it goes beyond. Logic doesn't... I think it goes beyond those syntax. I think it's, 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 it's the equipment of the mind, the way we think. Uh, we even think in terms of antithesis. Um, well, just because we believe in, like, or we have common structures of polar opposites, if it's not true, then it's false. I mean, isn't that sort of limiting and confining to think that because it doesn't fit into this sort of binary, like, ones and zero structures, that that therefore it's it's a, it has to be like either true or false but all I'm saying you, you may not like uh, and I don't even know if you, if, if, if you are holding the other position or not but, but I'll, I'll just assume that you do hold that position uh, you may not like my position but at least I can verbalize it consistent I can verbalize my position consistent with my position I can think about my position consistent with my position, and I, I don't think that's the case with with those who deny absolute truth. Um, Are you asking? Just it seems that we can talk about you know logic and, and that kind of analytical thinking, and that's great to to have this you know, formal right background, right? But in terms of just everyday existence and trying to deal with uh, discovering the nature of the universe in whatever way, that things seem to be a little more gray, and not so black and white. Well, <clears throat> I was, I was dealing with or trying to figure out his idea of like um, that there are no absolutes as a self-refuting statement, and I was talking about that, and then I was I was talking about like the the brain and a bat question, like how do we all, how do how do I know that any of this is real? Or that I'm just not being sort of fed like on protein substance, and all of, all of my sensory input is just sort of plugged into me. So how do I know, or how do I have any sort of like um, cable or access to true reality, or is there any yeah, and, and for I, that? Yeah, I'm not yeah. arguing, by the way, for uh, logical necessity 
I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to find conclusions that are rationally, you know, with rational certainty. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I believe a worldview that is not livable, and uh, Francis Schaeffer uses argu- used arguments along these lines as well, I believe any worldview that's not livable uh, is, is, is really not a, it's not a viable option. I mean, it's not worth holding to. And uh, uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, you're here, so I know you're eating food. Um, you're, uh, you, you showed up, you know, wearing, wearing clothes. Well, you're, you're trusting, you know. or you're believing that, that I'm here in real and physical. Well, well, if you, if you want, if you want to tell me, is, if you want to tell me you're not here, you know, well. that's, that's fine with me, but I, as far as I'm concerned, there, I, I think there are certain things, uh, like J.P. Moreland says, there are certain things that we know that we know that we know, uh, but we may have a difficulty proving it. Well, I mean, but the fact of the matter is, you, you eat food just like I eat food, even though I accept the existence of food, you may question it. But, but like people thought like the world was flat, and they knew that they knew that they knew that the world was flat, and that the world was the center of the solar system, and not the sun, like before, like Copernicus and stuff. So, and they knew that they knew that they knew that, but they were wrong, at least by our standards now. So, like. Are you saying that, yeah. mm-hmm. This is kind of an epistemological question. It's the same question that Descartes dealt with, right, with his doubting. He wanted to find a Yeah, because, I mean, I think that's, that's really what it comes down to is pluralism. Is Pluralism says that there is no access to truth or, or to one single truth. Mm-hmm. And so since there is no single truth that we can apprehend, then relativism is our only option.
seemed like, okay, well, you know, since I feared death, I'm going to leave and just worship those people who just like there to go, but are you going to go to the scriptures? I mean, you can't have you convince yourself that you believe. That's what with Pascal's wager, a lot of people think he's giving an argument for God's existence. He's really not. What he's basically doing is giving giving an argument that man should seek God because he's got everything to gain if he finds God, if God does exist and he finds God, and he's got nothing to lose by the search anyway. And whereas on the other side, if he just if he lives as if God doesn't exist, He's not going to gain anything, and uh, and he's not going to lose anything if he's right. So he just, but but basically, pa- Pascal is just saying that uh, because there's so much to lose that could possibly be lost, and so much that could possibly be gained, uh, and but basically it's the same thing here. There's uh, if pluralism. If if it's the if if it's either you know all faiths lead to God or exclusivism. Um, I think there's incentive to look at exclusivism just because there's so much to lose by it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not saying that means that the per- that person who decided, okay, I'm going to look into the claims of Christ uh, and I'm going to look at it with an open mind. I'm not saying that person is saved, but I'm saying uh, uh, I think that person is being a lot wiser that just in case Christianity is is true, let me look into it. Let me look into the exclusivistic faiths. So, uh, uh, but so I would say it doesn't make the person a believer, but it's it's a good start. Yeah, because I, I think if a person is open and objectively looks uh, at the evidence, I I, I think the I think the person is going to find the strength of the Christian worldview. I was thinking too. Um, seems to me it might be easier if the main exclusive claim would probably the was false, it probably a lot you can make your false conclusion a lot more stronger. I mean, if you made a pluralistic claim you hard to it seems like the words can go around that so many different ways that you couldn't be quite as conclusive about I think I know what you're getting at. It kind of lends it kind of lends itself to soft thinking in a sense, in that even if I mean even if pluralism is correct, it's almost like well, let's just believe anything, and then because of that, then let's also just believe in nothing. Almost. And so it's almost like are you saying if that if that's almost what you wind up doing? Do you just kind of go around and circle? It kind of goes by it happens by default where um, to be exclusive. 
the proof, as much as we can know proof, has to be really substantial and conclusive. Mm. And so there's that much more reason, one, to be motivated to check it out because you possibly could come to this. And two, you, you would, if you decided that it was true, then you'd have that much more intellectual reasons to hold the note because it does basically come back to what you were saying. It's going to be fake. Yeah. 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 Let me add something to that. I do believe, and this is why I'm not a a, a pure rationalist like uh, Descartes, I do believe that just like Mark said, that there's got to be some presupposition, something that you presuppose as your first principle or several first principles of thought and then you start to deduce or you know draw conclusions from those and uh, but you can't prove the first principles because if you could they wouldn't be first principles they're not conclusions they're starting points uh but i do believe that the christian presuppositions uh i would agree with uh, the schaefer type apologetic that the, the christian presuppositions are open to testing in other words the Christian has certain presuppositions. The Buddhist has certain presuppositions. The, the, the Muslim has certain presuppositions. I think when we put our presuppositions to the test, uh, I think the, the Christian presuppositions uh, come out on top. Um, and you, you, just the idea we mentioned that, uh, you know, people may deny the existence of the material universe, but they still live like the Christian view of the of the universe is true. They still eat food and go through the motions, and uh, and that was one of the strengths of uh, Schaefer's uh, argumentation that the Christian presuppositions uh, are livable. The Christian worldview is liberal, uh, livable, whereas the non-Christians, you know, would, would often argue against the Christian view of this element of reality or this aspect of reality uh, but then they'll turn around and, and live as if they're living uh, in, in the Christian world after all. I remember a couple of years back I was reading Hume mm-hmm. and he was, he was denying that you cannot prove or disprove anything mm-hmm. and I was like what am I supposed to do with this? You know, you couldn't live it, and you could not live it. But I, but then I thought, it's not his point. It's not the point that I'm like, what am I supposed to do now if I can't ever trust or not trust anything mm-hmm. that I do, that I'm here, that I'm not here, that I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. But it was more a fact that you, I thought of it more that it didn't give you any information about what you could know, but... It can tell you that the word absolute truth cannot be used. In, in what way are you talking about? Talking well, about you? Can you never or? Prove, if you could never prove or disprove anything logically, there couldn't be such a thing called an absolute truth. Yeah. The issue really comes down to just because something can't be proven does that it's not true. I'll give you an example. Again, the quantum science is going to be sure I can figure out that I can solve something. Oh, when you get into the probability. When you get into the moral, when you get into the probability that's, that's on the ground. Every moment that's ever graphed something, I'm going to figure out. But it can still be wrong. Yeah, it's still possible. Then you take it over in the religious or in the moral category. 
had abused, for example, I said, I love my wife. At that point, I can agree with you and I can say, well, I can't prove or disprove that. So I'm going to maintain agnosticism. And really, I think that's really what's happening on campus, and it's really what's happening in generations. When's the last time I actually did make it, a good protest, a good sitting, anybody really passionate about anything except for the one with financial income? What has happened is, is that you can't go in and you can't prove or disprove anything, so you just maintain indifference and ambivalence about everything. And the problem there is that you won't make a wrong mistake, but you'll also never really accomplish it. But that philosophy wasn't to be lived. I mean, I don't think David Hume could have gone walking around like, gosh, I can never know that I'm actually here, or if there's such a thing called an I. I mean, you can't live that way. Yeah, but see, yeah, but Hume, Hume was a defender of probability, though. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's slamming logical, knowing things with rational certainty. At the same time, he argued against miracles because he thought that probability was against it. So Hume was willing to live in a universe with only probable knowledge. And to be totally honest with you, on that particular point, I'm not so sure that my views are that far away from Hume. And that's why Mark was saying that eventually you've got to accept something by faith. But what I'm saying is that the Christian presuppositions, the things that we assume by faith, are perfectly consistent with the universe in which we live. I don't find that true from other worldviews. And the closer the worldview gets to Christianity, the more livable it appears to be to live consistently with it. But the further it gets away from Christianity, you have people denying the existence of the material universe while they're sitting down eating a Whopper from Burger King. What was it, the denial of the material universe? No, it was really my guy. He was actually denying the possibility of the material universe in defense of why there's spiritual substance. Yeah, in a material book. And he wanted some material money, too. He wasn't denying that he could experience the book, that he called this the book, that he could write on it like a book. He just said it was actually a book. Ravi Zacharias said that you've got all these intellectuals denying the existence of truth. And he says then they write huge volumes, and they really think you should buy their books, even though their books contain absolutely no truth, if they're correct. Even Ravi, in one of his lectures, had a guy stand up and say, well, look, after all you've said, you can't even really prove that I exist. Kind of like curiosity. Ravi's question to him was, well, to whom may I inquire as asking? But like she was saying, nothing has to be true or nothing has to exist for us to admit that we experience this, that we have the experience of it. So I may experience touching this book, even though it might not exist. So we can talk about the experiences and say, well, yes, we think or perceive that the experiences exist, even though they may not actually exist. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Thank you. Thank you.
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always possible, logically possible, right? Mm. But when we're talking about just down-to-earth, nitty-gritty kind of existence, which yes. we all deal with every day, yeah. it seems to be more and more difficult to, to keep that that theory separate from action. You know what I'm saying? Well, right. We have to decide yeah. somewhere along the line if we're going to live and act as human beings. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going to assume that that's a door and that it's solid, and then if I right. don't yeah. open my hand, I'm going to like run into it. Right. In fact, and that's why the Christian put so much emphasis on the fact that truth is not just this ethereal concept that exists out there in the, in the substratum, like like Plato's theory of, of, of the ideas, right? Mm-hmm. The Christian conception of truth is that truth became flesh and it became a person named Jesus Christ, right? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so the Christian doesn't just say that we come to know truth through the intellect. It's also a very personal, very experiential uh, element involved in our coming into that knowledge. Non-rational. Well, it's so rational. It's, it's all of it. It's all. It's not less than rational, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, more than faith. rational. There's always faith. Where faith is just a movement of the will to, to even start to believe in one direction or another. I don't understand why you can't be pluralistic or whatever and still believe in Christianity. Whether or not you believe it, and when you die, you fall out. 
it seems like maybe I can lose it for us in this room. That's how the park is for four hours and weeks. I think, too, if a, if a pluralist was consistent with his pluralism, he wouldn't have any problems with exclusivism. Yeah, exactly. If I, I could see an exclusivist being... Con an exclusivist is consistent when he debates and argues for his views. A pluralist isn't. Uh, a guy who denies truth, writing a book about it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. So, uh, um, but I, I don't. I, I just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you can deny absolute truth all you want, but uh, even the relativist has is, is, is got to live and communicate and think like like truth is real, like absolute truth is real. So. Uh, and you just deposited $10,000 That's because math is a human construction and it's not attached to the world in any manner and it's, so it, it's all up here and we all agree upon it. So you're saying that God is not constructing reality and just connects from I'm just saying that math math is a completely self-contained and everybody agrees on it. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. go up for like Euclid's geometry and parallel lines. Okay, except for those, those who believe it, believe it by faith because it's not provable beyond the Well, then those those things start to contradict the sort of like dualism of like, I can't be alive or I'm dead. Well, you can say, well, right. light can be like a wave or can be a particle at the same time. And so that sort of like starts to poke holes in the idea that things are either, you know, true or false or alive or dead like we were saying. Well, okay then, I mean, are you are you working with the the tension between a both-and kind of logic and an either-or kind of logic? Well, saying that reality best re is best reflected through an either-or kind of thinking or a both-and kind of thinking? Are you saying that we should well, only use a both-and kind of thinking? Well, he was checking me on the uh, on the thing of, of whether things can be, like, true or false, and so I was, like, trying to say, well, there's evidence that that true and false sort of thinking doesn't necessarily, dualism, binary dualism doesn't work all the time. Okay, then, if that's the case, then my claim that it does work all the time is just as true as your claim that it doesn't work all the time. Because by the very definition of a both-and style of logic, you can believe both a both-and and an either-or. Or you end up doing what the pluralist does and say, you must believe the both-and and nothing else, or nothing else. And hence the pluralist becomes an exclusivist. Right. Exactly. And that's just been our whole... That's, well, that's why, our why can't the pluralist be um, inclusive? I like, I mean, the, the, plural, the pluralist doesn't have to say you must accept pluralism. It just says there are other possibilities. Says that there are other possibilities than exclusivism. But exclusivism. Yeah, then you, then you eventually, to say that they're possible, you're going to investigate whether or not they're actually. 
But they're not trying to deny them. But they don't have an excuse in this because they're saying, well, it's possible. I investigated it. It's true. It's not true. You have to excuse it. But why would you have to go investigate it and tell them? Why do you have to, like, agree or disagree with them? If you're a true pluralist. Like you were saying, if someone was a true pluralist, they wouldn't have a problem with exclusivism. Right? Because if they believed that there were there were many forms of reality and all religions, as you say, lead to God, they wouldn't be having a problem with exclusivists, right? But so if the exclusivists having a problem with pluralists saying that. No, the, the, the pluralists do have problems with exclusivism, but they're not consistent. If they were really consistent with their pluralism, they wouldn't have problems with anybody. See, you know, when I call, I'll bring it into the realm of morality. When I call Jack the Ripper evil and say that his actions were morally wrong, that's perfectly consistent with uh, with my worldview. Uh, this guy, Robert Erickson, uh, uh, professor of history at Olympic College, uh, published a book, Theologians Under Hitler, by Yale Press. He stated in throughout that book that he's a moral relativist, yet he referred to Adolf Hitler as being morally evil, morally wrong, was the words he used, uh, over and over again. And so I explained to him, I said, I agree with you, Hitler was morally wrong, but you said you're in your book over and over again, you're a moral relativist, therefore you can't call somebody morally wrong and be consistent with your worldview. And he looked at me and said, oh, I know, but I can live with that contradiction. And he smiled and walked away. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, if you can live with that contradiction, then, then why, why wouldn't they be able to live with anything that contradicted their worldview, i.e., the way exclusivism contradicts pluralism? So, uh, um, you know, once, once you say all views are equally true, it seems that the person loses... Well, does, is all, that what all, uh, equally? What's that? Does pluralism actually say they're equally true, or just that there's a possibility? Or, or, the, or that you have equal right to... Uh, even even that word's loaded there, but... Uh, um, you know, you could... If the pluralist is a, is a relativist, that everybody's view is equally true, because there really is no such thing as, as uh, absolute truth, uh, but then the, 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 the pluralist is at least a practical, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the pluralist would be at least, and I'm, I'm talking the wider view of pluralism, which, which has been the, pretty much the focus of, of this discussion. Uh, the pluralist is pretty much a practical relativist, if not a philosophical relativist in, in, in the area of truth. Thank you.